for uh, the first time, which we'll do for the next 10 weeks. Uh, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians. If you don't know how to find that, either go to your table of contents. If you get in a section called the epistles, just think God eats popcorn, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then you have, you have uh, Colossians, all right? And uh, let me start off, though, by saying uh, hello to other campuses in uh, the beautiful uh, A28. We, uh, the last couple weeks, was able to get to almost all of them. I'm going to get to Franklin uh, this week, but it was so awesome also to see the impact that uh, folks from every campus have had in the REACH uh, campaign was able to make it out to East Asheville and see now that thing has doubled in all of six weeks. So great job on getting that transitioned over to a more populous area. All right, so great time on that. Great time in Cine Espanol. Keep praying for uh, keep praying for Franklin. We're probably looking somewhere at an August date. Now don't pin us down on that for a couple of more days, but sometime in August uh, we should be cranking that thing open. And uh, but anyway, uh, when it comes to Colossians, uh, as far as long as supplies last, what we have is we've got these little journals. Uh, since we're going to be in there for 10 weeks, uh, these journals are available. Again, while supplies last, you can go to the information center, the guest services. It has both the text as well as some places to write down. This is what God's teaching me. So uh, grab these on your way out, and uh, they are uh, free of charge, so to speak, until they run out. And then after that, we'll tell you where you can order them yourself for the uh, great uh, Gensu knife set of $5.99. You can do that yourself, all right? So uh, with that, here's where we're going to be on a journey uh, in the book of Colossians. We are going to go verse by verse through the book, all right? Obviously, uh, there's only four chapters. It's not super thick at all. So in my Bible, this is pretty much what it's like, but I will say this. There are so, and today's a great example, there are so many words that have such depth of meaning that it's not, just because it's four chapters, there is a ton, a ton in there, all right? And so it's going to talk about what God has done for us. It's going to talk about what God has done in us. It's going to talk about what God wants to do through us uh, as well. Uh, But a couple of things uh, before we jump in there. Let me uh, say this about this. I love Colossians because the point of this short letter is that bottom line, it's not about you or me. All right, it's not really about you or me. I mean, Jesus has done a lot of stuff and a lot of things for us more than anyone else has, but it still ain't about us, all right? It's not about us. And that is the best, most peaceful, most serene, most secure place you can ever be is understanding properly where we fall that it's not about us at all. About 10 days ago, I had a bunch of guys over. I've told you about, uh, I put a fire pit into our house about a year and a half or so ago. And so uh, every now and then I'll have guys over. And we had these guys over for the fire pit. And they came in there about 8.30. Sun was not down yet. But as the sun went down and as it got darker and darker, and I'd shut off most of the lights around the house, uh, what was amazing was, and I kind of, I live in the semi-country, okay? I'm like, I'm like a semi-redneck. That's what I am. So I'm like semi out there. But what happens is there's not a lot of other light that goes on around us. The lot next to us is vacant. I got a field behind me. And so when, it, when the lights went out, when I turned out my lights and it got dark, man, the stars were just crazy. Like, look at these stars. And we're sitting there, even though the fire's going, it's like, look at these. And then the lightning bugs started putting on a, a show and it was awesome. And then we started talking actually about one of, the, one of the fellows that I'd actually gone to Africa with a few years ago, and we had talked about this same talk when we were out there, believe it or not, on the Serengeti, all right, trying not to get ate by lions, all right. What we did is we looked up and we saw like just even more stars. We're like, that is amazing. It's amazing. And then I remembered this statistic, and the statistic was this, as awesome as that is, as amazing as that actually is, we can only see about 9,000 stars, 
They say there's actually, if I wrote it down correctly, there's actually total estimate three septillion stars out there. That's three with 24 zeros out there. All that to say this, what this letter is about is the Apostle Paul is going to speak to a church in a culture and say, Jesus is not one of the stars. He is the star. He's not one of three septillion stars. He's not even one of 9,000 stars. He is absolutely the star. As a matter of fact, he's the one that actually stepped out on the front porch of heaven and spoke and then named the stars into existence. And so when you look at that, he's talking to a church that is in a culture very much like what we have in WNC. In WNC, we have a very, very, very religious region. I didn't say Christian, I said we have a lot of rivers of thought and worldview. They come together. In the same thing, there's a town 2,000 years ago. It wasn't because of the internet like we have now where the world became sort of flat and all these cultures came together. Back then, it was a Roman province and Rome had all these roads and all of a sudden, all these cultures collided. And you had this brand new church there, this good church, a great church, a growing church. But what it was is the culture was starting to go in and bring the culture into the church and dictate what the church thought about Jesus. And so what he's going to say is, I want to show you that Jesus is above all histories. He's above all philosophies. He's above all theologies. He's above every kingdom. And he's going to do that. And when you and I know that, he says, then there's the implication with our marriages, our identity, our work, uh, our families, all of that. So uh, we're going to be in Colossians 1. I'm going to kind of read the first eight, and then we're going to camp out on what is somewhat of a personal text for kind of pastoring people, all right? So I'll tell you that up front. That's what is going on. But here's, the, here's a little bit of the background. Sometimes when you take a journey, when you go on a trip, it's good to sort of, okay, where are we going to be? What's this about? How long is the journey going to take? But here's the, basically the background. This is written, the first word is Paul. Paul is the author, and depending on your background in church, you might or might not have heard him. But this is written during one of Paul's many imprisonments for preaching the gospel. There's not 100% clarity on which one. There's a bunch of different ideas. It's the Roman imprisonment. It's this. We don't really know for sure, but we know he's in prison. He writes this, and Paul does not plant this church. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty good indication he doesn't really know everybody in the church or even anybody in the church. He actually raised up a guy that was the pastor of the church named Epaphras or Epaphras, however you want to pronounce his name. And so Epaphras comes to Paul in prison. It's like, I got concerns about my church. Tell me what I should do. And so what Paul does is Paul writes a, Paul writes a letter back to this. He's sort of like the grandfather or the grand pastor of this church. And Epaphras shares concerns and Paul then addresses those concerns. But let me say it again. It was a religious place. Colossae was a religious place. They were filled with temples and shrines to all kinds of God. And here was the mood. Find a God that works for you. Feel free to pick from the smorgasbord of gods and put them together in a combination that works for you. Very much like uh, the build-to-bear theology. You know, you, you take the God and you can pick from this and pick from that and pick from this other one. Put them together and that's the God you worship. That's all great. As a matter of fact, Rome had two rules. Number one is you can worship any God you want to, but number two, you better not say your God is exalted above everybody else because if you say your God's exalted above everybody else, that might cause some conflict. That might cause some confusion about who's in charge. And they're saying, we want you to understand clearly Rome is in charge. 
And so Paul is somewhat subversive into this whole thing. He's like, Rome is not in charge. The emperor is not in charge. Don't put your hope in Rome. He's like, your hope is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And so uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, um, this is, it's important for us to understand. We kind of think that we've been here for a long, long time. Rome was the dominant place, and it's almost was going to spend 10 minutes on Rome, but I want to jump into the text quickly. But Rome was around, and Rome ruled the world from India to England for 1,500 years. To give us a little context, what have we been around? The United States has been, what, 200 and 242 years? Okay. And so we think we've been around for a long time. 1,500 years, they basically ruled everything without a whole lot of battle. Some skirmishes here and there. But what they were saying is, listen, listen, we're the hope. We have it all figured out. Paul comes in and says, listen, you're not exalted over everything. Jesus is exalted. So let me read the first eight verses. I'll make a couple of comments, but nine is where we're really going to start today, all right? So here's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints. Now, highlighted saints, we're going to come back to this. We're basically going to see a prayer that Paul prays for them, that you can pray for your child, your grandchild, your church, that I pray for you a ton. But what you're going to see is part of it is all wrapped up into this word, your identity, which is saints. To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Somewhat of the normal introduction. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We're going to come back. Paul is not a super tender person at times in the Bible, all right? But you're going to see that he's very tender toward this church. He's heard such good things about this church. Um, I'll tell you this uh, here in a few minutes as well. Uh, Anytime I'm out or go to another church to speak or whatever, I am always ready to get back home to you. I can honestly say that. There's no better place that I would ever rather be than right here. And so part of it is just loving you. And what Paul's saying is this. It's like, man, I love you and I pray for you. And so all of a sudden this harsh guy, because Paul can be pretty harsh, he's very tender toward this church. And since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you. Again, he's always saying, like, your hope is not the emperor. Your hope is in Jesus Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. This is a a church that, again, was growing. It was having an impact. It wasn't that old, but what was happening is they were doing great things, but the culture was, instead of going kingdom up, it was starting to go culture down. Culture was ending up going into their church, and he's like, you got to be careful. It's not there yet, but it's it's, it's encroaching. As indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. A couple more verses, and then we're going to uh, uh, land on verses 9 to 14. Just as you learned it from Epaphras. Again, Epaphras is their pastor. Epaphras is the pastor of the local church there in Colossae. The apostle Paul apparently discipled Epaphras, and then Epaphras went home to where he was from, and Colossae planted a church and is now the pastor there. Our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So it's like, you know what? We love Paul. We don't even know Paul, but we love Paul because the way Paul administered all the churches. So here's what I'm going to say. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We've not ceased to pray for you. So uh, here's where it is, verse 3 and verse 9. Paul wants them to know he prays for them. 
As I said before, Paul is not the most naturally tender-hearted, gentle person in the Bible. I mean, you see him say some very harsh things. You see him talk to the church at Galatians. It's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay, who has done that? I mean, he called the Corinthians, he called them on the carpet. He goes to Peter when Peter's being a hypocrite with the Jew-Gentile deal, and he's like, I opposed Peter to his face. I mean, he would be a guy, Paul's a guy that would get in your face. So he got in Peter's face like, you're a hypocrite. This is not your gentle, whatever that one is on the Enneagram. He's like, I'm just kind of a gentle shepherd sheepdog. That's not Paul. Paul's the one that would tell the Romans, you know what? It's by grace you're saved, but you know what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's what he says here. He says, uh, He's tenderhearted. He's like, I thank God for you. I pray for you. Thank you for loving me. Chapter two, it says, our hearts are knit together in love. Okay, I'm just, I'm just thinking, uh, Pete's down here. I pick on Pete all the time, but I ain't seen Pete in a couple weeks. You know, and Pete, Pete's like, man, Pete, Pete would probably, Pete, Pete's like a long time in the service, and uh, Pete could probably kill me in three seconds. I mean, he really could. He could probably, if I said, Pete, I'm taller than you, he's like, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm dead. I mean, that's, that's Pete. Pete could kill me quickly. He could kill you quickly, okay? But here's what, uh, point being is that uh, if I hadn't seen Pete, I hadn't seen him in a couple weeks, but I probably, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go up to Pete after two weeks and seeing him and say what he says in chapter two. It's like, Peter. Our hearts are knit together in love. You know, I'm just not, gonna, I'm just not going there, right? And so I'm not going to say that, but what it is to be able to say, you know what? Man, it is good to see you. And so here's what I, I thought about this um, is before we jump into the rest of the verses. Uh, let me repeat what I said earlier. Mainly because of the blessing that God has put on this church and the favor that God has put on this church, what I get a chance to do is have the blessing to speak at some different places and chapels and conferences and all, churches and all this kind of stuff. I would just say, again, there's no place I would rather be uh, than Biltmore Church. I love this church. I, I, just, I don't love the faci- It's not the facilities I love. It's the people, right? It's the people. It's you. It is the, uh, it's the movement that God has. And I began to think, what is it about the church that you love so much? And there's like 10 or 12, but let me just give you three or four to kind of just parallel what Paul is trying to say as well and to affirm you in a couple of things. Number one, I love your zeal for lost people. I love your zeal for lost people. Every single time, the number one request, the number one request that we get online, emails, et cetera, every time, it's would you pray for my lost husband? Would you pray for my prodigal daughter? Would you pray for this person that I play golf with? They're not, they don't know Jesus, and I, and I think they're searching right now. Would you pray? And then the biggest praises we get, the biggest praises we get is like, hey, my husband came to Christ this Easter. It's like, it's like, man, I'm there. He's getting baptized. I mean, it's like, that is what it is. Every time we have one of those boards, every time we try to raise the flag of evangelism and put a board up or a cross up or pray over this, I mean, that board is filled with hundreds and thousands of people that you are praying for, and I love that. I mean, it's awesome. I love that about you. And by the way, if, someone, if, if, if somebody invited you to be here and you're here at church for the first time for a long time, I just want you to know the reason they did that is because they love you. They love you and they want you to hear the gospel. They want you to hear the most dangerous message in all of the world, but the best news you'll ever hear because they love you. But I love that about you. I love your, I love your zeal. It's like, hey, whatever it takes, what do we got to do to reach WNC, we will do. I love that about you. Uh, a couple more things that I could, again, we could go to 10 things, but for time, let me give you four. Number two is, I, <laughs> I don't know how to put this. I love the fact, I don't even know if you'll understand it, but I love the fact that you lean into a 
again, I don't know how to put it. You lean into a hard gospel beatdown. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know how to put it any other way. I mean, what we've, over the years, it's like the harder I preach at you. I mean, I can talk about repent, you sinner. I can talk about racism. I can talk about the hardest stuff. And you're like, come on, come on. Bring it up, bring it stronger to the hole, bring it stronger to the hole. That's what you do. You're like, as long as it's tempered and understood with the gospel, you're like, just tell us what the book says. I love that. I just thought, man, whatever it is, running from God, racism, repent. You guys are kind of like those, uh, you're like those weird CrossFit people that, uh, that uh, I mean, you, you, you just, you, you're like the, you get on instant, the CrossFit people, and I know I'm going to get a letter from that. I'm just saying, but what you do is you, you, uh, you put on there how much you're in pain. You're like, I'm bleeding from my eyeball. I'm hurting so bad. And you're like, but it's awesome. I love CrossFit. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's weird, but I, I love it about you. So um, number three, uh, I do love the, I love the way you embrace ministry. I love the way you embrace ministry. I hear all these pastors and always like, I can't get anybody to do anything. I can't get anybody to do anything. Can't get any volunteers. Nobody wants to do anything. And there's no young people here. My baby was like, I, I, I don't, I, we don't ever say that. We never say that. We never say it's like, we can't get, all we got to do is like, hey, here's where we feel like God's leading us. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what it says in the Bible. And you're like, go, check me off. I'm there. That's what you do. You've bought in and you understand the fact that pastors are, less masseuses and more personal trainers. You understand what I'm saying? You bought into the Ephesians 4 that, you know what, pastors are here to basically exhort you and encourage you and equip you to do ministry in your job and work and neighborhood and not just masseuses to make you feel good. And, oh, that, that feels, feels awesome right there. That feels awesome. I'll see you next week. That's not who you are. That's awesome about you. And I just, number four is this. I will say this. I, I love, I say, I love meeting you. I love meeting you. So I say that to say, and a couple of weeks ago, going to these other places, there's people I hadn't seen in a long time. And I know it's hard with multiple locations. That's a, that's a, that's a hard deal. Uh, but I would say this, if I, if I see you out in public, please come introduce yourself to me. All right, I love that. It kind of freaks my wife out sometimes, but I, I actually love it, all right? But here's, here's our bargain. If you come up, you cannot say this phrase. You cannot say, I go to your church. I go to your church. Don't come up and say, I'm Sam, I go to your church, all right? It's not my church, okay? It's not my church. It's not my church. It's actually, in some ways, our church, but in even a bigger way, it's God's church, all right? So it's not my church. Don't come up and say, I go to your church. It's, uh, what that says is you hadn't bought into what we're doing, okay? It's our church collectively, but even more importantly, it's God's church. But I'd love for you to, you know, you guys come up and say, you know what? Hey, I'm big ticket, and I love that. That's awesome. It really is. But, you know, what, what my deal is is I want to feed you. I want to pray for you. I want to be a good shepherd. And uh, I want to pray not, not just about you, all right? There's a difference between praying about you and praying for you. And so what we're going to go over is stuff that I pray for you, for us. It's what you can pray for your spouse. It's what you can pray for your church. But what we're praying for them, not about them, all right? Uh, Sometimes you see this in marriages. All right? Marriages, you're like, I'm going to pray about my spouse. Like, God, would you please make that woman stop being so cold and hard-hearted? That is praying about your spouse. God, would you please break that man finally take some responsibility. That's praying about your spouse. But praying for them is like, God, thank you for my spouse. All right? Help them to have a different spouse they have to respond to because of the work of grace you're doing in me. All right? There's a difference. And so we're praying together. God, this is what we're praying to each other for. These are all huge. So let me 
quick warning before we go in here, quick disclaimer. These, th- these three things you see Paul pray are enormous objects, and we're just going to touch on them. All right? Don't freak when I spend the most time on the first one. You're like, man, we're not going to get out of here for like an hour. Just understand the first one takes a little bit longer. All right, so let's look at, uh, here's the first one. Try to figure out a way to put this in a cute way, in a memorable way, in some way that's like rhymes or whatever. And I couldn't, so let me just put it down with the, if in doubt, just go with the text. That's kind of my bottom line thing. And that is just to know God intimately. Know God intimately. Look at what verse 9 and 10 says, and I think you'll see it. And so, from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. What are we praying? I'm asking that you may be filled with. Now, if you say, I want you to be filled with, you're sort of acknowledging that there's a chance that you're not filled with it currently. If I say, you know what, I want you to be filled, what I'm kind of acknowledging is you're probably not filled up all the way yet. And so Paul's like, I'm praying something for you. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. Let me just say this too. I never saw the cycle in verses nine and 10 because I've preached probably 25 books of the Bible in my ministry. I think we've done about 15 here or big chunks of scripture over our years together. We've never done Colossians. I had never done Colossians. And so henceforth, I had never seen the cycle of growth in these two verses. I thought about just do these two verses, but anyway, I got away from it. And, uh, but I will give you the cycle here. But verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, and he goes back to the same thing he said earlier, back, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's what my prayer is for us, for you. I want you to pray this for me, is I pray that we would not just know more about God, but that we would know God more. Listen to me. Pray that we would not just know more about God, but that we'd actually, we would know God more, and there is a difference not just more about God, but know God more. And the word is we're using is intimately it there. Now, let me give you a little, you didn't come here to get a, a, a language lesson, but the word knowledge there is not the word for just mental knowledge. It's not just, you know what, I know some facts about somebody. That's not what the word is. The word in the Bible there is actually gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. But what he does here is he puts a accelerator, if you will, on the front end of it, that's the word epi, or the little, the little addendum, epi, and what it does is it's an accelerator, or it maxes it out. In other words, I don't want you to just know some facts. I want you to know, I want you to know God both mentally, effectually, emotionally. I want you to know who God is. Loved ones, I can't think of a better thing we need to understand here in the culture of the Southeast when many of us, you got raised in church and it was there and there and there and you're like, yeah, I know a lot about him. I've heard the stories, but would you say today as you sit in church, I know God intimately. The Old Testament word that would be the equivalent of the New Testament word I just explained, it's the word, it's true, it's the word yada, okay? Yada, it's like the word that says Adam knew Eve, It's like yada, yada, yada. That's what he's saying. It's like Adam, yada, 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 Eve. He knew Eve. And you take that in the New Testament, he's saying, guess what? Do you know God? Do you know God in an intimate way? So here's what, again, they were saying. You can worship any God you want, but don't worship your God as the only God because that's gonna lead to a bunch of uproar. And what the prayer is, is that we would know the God of the universe, that he's before all things, all things uh, exist for him, by him, to him, and through him, all right? He's not one of the great things that God created. Jesus is the creating force and purpose behind it all. 
So here's where I want to try to land just for practice for a second. A lot of us, as believers in Jesus, the Christian life is exhausting. And here's what I mean by that. If you're a churchgoer, you want to do right, you're here today, what happens is, is the Christian life can seem very much like a bad car. You know, it's like it starts sometime and then it, it's not reliable and I'll, get, I'll have good seasons and I'll have a great three months and I'll get fired up and I'll spend time with God. But then six months later, I'm like so far away. And it's starting and stopping. And if you ever asked yourself the question, I've jotted some things down that I just have asked of myself over the years. You ask, you know, it's like, why do I still struggle with these things? Why do I still struggle with this or gossip or whatever? Why do I still struggle loving some people that are not super lovable? I mean, I know God wants me to love people. I know he loved me. How come I struggle with that? You ever think about how come I struggle to pray? I mean, I pray sometime, but how come I struggle to really pray? I mean, when I do pray, I love it, and God seems so near, and it's such a different dynamic in my life. But then it's like, you know, truth be known, you're like, man, I hadn't prayed in three months, not really prayed. You hear about generosity, and you hear about patience, and you hear about all these things. And you just, th- just think, about the, think about the one thing that you struggle the most with. I mean, it can be whatever. You're like, I got, you know what it is. I mean, I have a drug problem. I've got an overeating problem. I have a lust problem. I got a relationship problem. And here's what the Christian life can be like if we don't understand what he's saying here. Uh, back in the carnival days or the fair days, maybe they had that at the WNC fair. I hadn't been, but I'm going to go. Okay, I'm going to go. All right, I'm going to go. I got to get one of those big old cotton candies and I got to get one of those fried butters. I mean, I got it just for the health purpose. I got to get one of those. All right, so here's it. Here's what. But they used to have this deal, the whack a mole. They still have that. Whack-a-mole, best game ever, best game ever. Whack-a-mole is all about hand-eye coordination. It's like the mole comes up, whack, whack, whack. But I mean, after a while, you're like, and you win based on how much you push down, how much you hit. That's the way the Christian life can feel sometimes. It's like, man, I'm just, I just whacked the, I just, I just whacked this issue, but boom, he's telling me now to be loving. I just got the love thing down, but now he's telling me to be patient with somebody. I just got that down. Now he's telling me to be generous with somebody. Boom, and now he's telling me to use my mouth in a good and godly way and not a gossipy way. It's like just whacking the moles. Let me show you something that whether or not you knew it or not is going on in your life if you're a Christ follower. Again, we're probably gonna return to this. I'm gonna show you in one picture basically what is called in the Bible sanctification. It's the journey if you're a Christ follower. This is what's going on every day to some extent. Now, it might be stalled, Our deal is to try to, how do we kick this into gear? But what I want to show you is I want to show you how this works on a daily basis. This would be the idea of a growth cycle. Verse 9 and 10, that is the whole Christian life in a nutshell about what God does to sanctify you. So let me just show it to you and we'll make a couple of comments and again, we'll come back to this. So let's start here. This is not linear. This is a circle. So verse 9 and 10, twice it says, talks about the knowledge of God. I pray that you would know who God is. And then down at the end of the verse, it says, I pray that that would be increasing. So let's just say right here, this is when you came to Christ, whether you're nine or 90 or 19 or whatever, you came to Christ right here. Again, the gospel is the centerpiece here. Every one of these aspects has to be rooted and centered around the gospel of Jesus. So you come to know Christ here and then what happens? Then you get over here, what's the first thing we tell you to do? We start telling you to do a few things like, okay, here's the Bible. Uh, You need some fellowship. Here's how you actually talk to God. And what happens is then God begins to show you who he is. 
That's why we always talk about this, and this is so key. Christians who look at this book as a how-to manual end up getting frustrated with it because what happens is they go through an issue and they're like, man, I gotta have some help in my marriage. I gotta have some help with my money or something else. And it's like, I'm reading the Bible. It says nothing about my marriage. Well, things not practical at all. Understand the Bible, first and foremost, is God's self-disclosure of himself to you. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna show you about who he is, his patience, his kindness. And the more we understand that, here's what happens. And by the way, when he shows you that and he shows you that, different things begin to happen. And so when you're looking in there and you're, you're, you're uh, getting wisdom and understanding and God is disclosing himself and you're understanding about Jesus and it's about God's sacrifice, again, it's about the gospel, it's about God's sacrifice, his humility, his gentleness. The Bible says God's kindness led you to repentance. And then what happens? So God's showing you some stuff and then before, you don't even know what's going on, but you are walking with the Lord. You're walking with the Lord. Now just think about that verb walk. Walk is what I'm doing right now. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm not even thinking about walking. I'm just walking. I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And what I'm doing is even if I don't know it, I'm making some progress. That's what happens when you're walking with the Lord. Now, what does walking with the Lord look like? Parents, grandparents, what happens when uh, you got a toddler? When you got that toddler, uh, Frank babies don't walk real quick. Let me just tell you that. I don't know what the deal is. We've got a you know, condition called gangliness or something. I'm not sure what's going on, but we don't walk all that quick. And so what happens is, I mean, think about any child when they're walking. Remember how you're, you're anticipating, you're like, I can't wait for that little boy to walk. And then they're, you know, they're big fat head and they can't quite do it. And then they find, then they take like, you know, what is it? Step, step, fall. Isn't it? And what do the parents do? You idiot. What kind, of, what kind of person are you? Step, step, fall right on your face? Step, step, fall? Honey, that's from your side of the family, not my side of the family, all right? That, no parent does that. No grandparent does that. What are the parents just like, also, come here, let's help you up a little bit. Please understand, and we'll hit this at the end. You gotta understand, if it's rooted in the gospel, when you, fa- you understand more, you show your understanding of the gospel more when you fall than when you do something awesome. When you fall, if you understand the gospel, what happens is you understand the gospel, you're walking with the Lord, step, step, fall, you understand, you understand God is there, I love you, I paid for that sin, I'm gonna pick you up, I'm gonna dust you off, and let's do it more, and let's do it better, and I'm helping you, and hold on to my hand, that's walking with the Lord. That's why we always say repentance, repentance is not a place that you visit, it's a place that you live. All right. If you don't understand the gospel, you don't ever want to repent. If you don't want to repent, why? Why don't you want to repent? Because God's mad at me and I got to go clean myself up. But you understand the gospel. You're like, the gospel cleans me up. The gospel cleans me up. So I want to run to my dad so he can pick me up and I can go on. And so what happens is I'm walking with the Lord. Well, when you walk with the Lord and you understand his grace and you understand his patience, then the next thing happens as he sanctifies you, you start to bear fruit. What happens? Your character starts to change. Your wife starts to say, man, you're a lot more patient than you were last year. Now, by the way, I understand that you're like, I hadn't grown much. I hadn't grown much. Um, one of these days, and I should have brought it out today, I actually was and then didn't and should have done it now. But uh, remember when you were in kindergarten and you had, uh, they give you those little Dixie cups and you put dirt in it, you put a little seed in that? Okay, you remember that you put it up in the windshield? Do we still do that? Or the window? Okay. That's, the way, that's, that's what happened to, when we've seen that happen literally thousands of times over the last couple of years in people's lives. And some of you are like, man, I hadn't grown any, hadn't grown any. 
What happens to that little plant? You put it in the windowsill and it gets the right nutrients and the right sunshine and it's planted in the right soil. Pretty soon after just a, what, a little bit of time, they're like, you're looking at it, what is it? And then that little, little, that little, that little trailer goes up and you're like, shazam, that's it right there. Okay, so understand, that's where a lot of us are. You know what? God put the seed of the gospel in you. Some of you six weeks ago, some of you six months, six years. And what happens is what we want to do, how do you put the right soil, the right sunshine, the right nutrients? So what happens is you bear fruit. Things like uh, impact, purpose. All of a sudden you're more generous with people. All of a sudden your work is not just so that you can get a paycheck. It's so that you can make a difference, all right? All of a sudden you're actually thinking, okay, how do I disciple my kids versus how do I just go play another round of golf? You're thinking about those things about God's kingdom and not yours. And you're like, what do I do then? Well, that humbles you because God uses you. And so what do you do? It takes you right back to, I got to know more about God. I got to know more about God and his character and those things. That's the growth cycle right there. That's going to happen. That is like, how long are we going to do that? Uh, you're going to do that until you go to heaven, all right? You're like, I'm not interested in that. Well, you're not going to heaven, so don't worry about it at all, okay? Um, and by the way, here's, here's the reason. Some of you are like, well, I, you saw this when you're like, that just means I've got to get some principles down, and principles are good. But the bottom line is principles don't change you. Understand that? Principles in and of themselves don't change you. They don't. How many husbands in here have probably at some point heard, let's say 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way and grant her honors, a precious heir of the gift of life, all right? How many of you are like, man, I've heard that verse. You have heard that. I've preached that verse, so don't look at me like that. So if you didn't hear it, you also weren't at church, so you hadn't heard Hebrews 10. So all that being said, you and I know the principles, but the question is, if the, the principles don't change us. So when we get in here, our whole thing is, it's not about getting nine different points. It's about putting yourself under the waterfall of the grace and the character of God so that changes us. Because here's what I found out over the years. If your whole focus is, I got to fix this problem, that's going to last about a week, two weeks, or until maybe something happens. I got to fix my marriage, okay? That's going to last a little bit until the pressure's off, until she says we don't have to go to a counselor. But if you get under the waterfall of the character of God, and look how patient God has been with me. So maybe now God's patience with me is helping me be patient with my wife. That ends up being a lot more long-term. So that's, that's kind of, here's the deal. Uh, Luther has said this. He was talking about the commandment to love people. He says, that kind of love cannot be produced by exhortation. It can only be produced by revelation. That is so true. I wish I'd have said that, all right? I wish I'd have said that. I mean, how good is that? He's talking about the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, how are you going to work up? Love him. I don't want to love him. He's like, no, it only does it by revelation. God's saying, that's the way I loved you. So that's the way I want you to love other people. So that's what you pray. Pray, God, I would know you intimately. Second thing would be this. And these, are, these are a little quicker. Okay. He prays the next couple of verses, and these are just, we're going down the verses. All right. Nine and 10. 11 and 12 talks about walking with God powerfully. This, I'm going to give one example here, so a little quicker. Got to listen quick. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power, there's our word, according to his glorious might for all endurance. Now, let's keep that up there for a second. Endurance is connected with circumstances. Some of you are there now. Some of you are there now. Circumstances, this is not a, this is like the pen in the balloon of the fallacy of the prosperity gospel. Endurance, he's assuming there's gonna be difficult times. You don't get to audit that class. You don't get to clap out of it, test out of it. That's going to come to you. 
He says, but according to his glorious might for all endurance, that's circumstances and patience, that's people. People that have hurt you, people that have embarrassed you, people you don't like to be around, people that drive you crazy, and I can think of a couple. All right, for all endurance and patience with joy, verse 12, and here's the, I thought this was like the, uh, what do you call it when they put celery on the side? What do you call it? Like, what do you call it? Well, you don't, garnish, thank you. It's like, I'm not eating that stuff, all right, but it looks the thing to be, I thought this was the garnish. I thought thanksgiving was a garnish, and I realized it's actually in every chapter in the book. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, this is huge, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So walk with God powerfully, okay? Have you ever, uh, you ever read the Bible and thought, man, you ever read the book of Acts and seen some of the stuff? I know some of it's transitional. I understand that. Have you ever read the book of Acts or just the Bible and just said, man, I'm looking at all these people and their boldness? I read in Acts 4 and that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to get beaten up for Jesus. And thought, that doesn't look like my life. Have you ever just read through the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians and said, man, that doesn't look like, that doesn't look like what's around my house. Love, joy, peace, patience, that does, that's not my resume. That's not, what's on my, that's not what's in my house. That's not what's in my marriage. That's not what's going on in my classroom. And here's what he said. Uh, he actually says the two things, because we think about it with bold, and there's a great thing. We got brothers and sisters around the world that are going through hell for their faith. Right now, the culture has shifted, but it's not really shifted harsh on us. I know that's a matter of subjectivity, but it's not harsh compared to brothers and sisters around the world. It's not compared to what it is in China or Nepal or Iraq or Iran. I mean, we can all agree on that. But one of the things that is distinctive is, and I was thinking about this, you notice how he said, he says, so that you can have all endurance and patience with thanksgiving and joy. Can we acknowledge that we in the United States, we live in a negative culture? Can we at least acknowledge we live in a negative culture? We live in a whining, complaining culture. You're like, show it. I just open up the newspaper or read the newspaper on your tablet, look at letters to the editor, look at, uh, listen around the water cooler. <laughs> when I work out, there's a show called, I'm on this bike, and there, when I'm working out, there's a show on ESPN called PTI. P- <laughs> My thoughts exactly, all right? My thoughts exactly. And all it is, PTI, I mean, I'm watching the sports, but all it, this is the whole show. The whole show are two guys arguing about sports stuff. I mean, they will pick anything and just argue. This is right. And that's the whole show. And it's like one of the top rated shows. If you don't think that's enough, here's some, uh, there's some complaining websites. This true, true websites. My life is average. That's one of the complaining websites. Like if your life is average, come on this website and you've got a place where you can complain. I was like, man, get a life, all right? All right here's another one, uh, uh, Ventinary. I think it's like, this is the place that you, this is the place that you vent, okay? Here's another one, the complaint station. Here's the way that they describe themselves. The king of complaints, over 5 million served. We hold the record for the most complaints on any one site and are the pioneers of open complaining. I mean, I'm like, 
Really, really, they're not finished though. Here it is. The purpose of the complaint station is to provide you with a central location to file your complaints or research previous complaints. You can complain about issues related to, and it just names all this, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just, it's sick. And then it's, here's the last one, complain.org. Don't look it up on your phone. It'll depress you, okay? It'll depress you. Here's what that one says. Complain about anything. The whole world is here to listen. Uh, not really, okay? They're, they're not listening. Complain about your neighbor. Complain about the airlines. Complain about trains. Complain about noise. Complain about your mother-in-law. <laughs> complain about high prices, about getting ripped off, about potholes, about police, about welfare, about work, about your boss. Complain about us or even complain to us. We'll listen. We'll tell everyone no exceptions. I mean, how sick is that? All right. How sick is that? And don't look at me like, well, we're Christians and we don't act like that. We don't ever, we don't, we're thankful. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, just listen to ourselves sometime. I mean, listen, this is as practical as it gets. Well, here's, here's, I'm just looking in the mirror. Instead of being thankful and it's like, I get to go to a place today and somebody else cooks the food, puts it on a plate, and brings it out to me with a garnish. Instead of that, what happens is like, I can't believe we have an hour to wait. An hour? Are you, an hour? You, well, don't take reserve. That's okay. Uh, instead of like, man, I got a car to drive, or I got a truck to drive, all right? What do we say? We say, guys, tourist. 26 is hell. It is a terrible, get the Florida people out. What do we do? That is what we say, all right? All right, what else? All right, you're indicting yourself, all right? You're indicting yourself right now. What do we say? Instead of the fact that we can get in a, we can get in an aluminum tube and it'll go 500 miles an hour and you can get to the other side of the country in a matter of hours, what do we do? It's like, boy, Delta means don't ever leave the airport and I can't believe they're 15 minutes late and all this kind of stuff. All right, and then this last one is like, I mean, this is the one I just, I just got to crack up on this. Please don't ever tell me this at all because here's the, we live in WNC and we get like four real seasons and it's awesome. And then the other day for like a minute, it hit 90 and everybody's like, it's so hot. It's so hot. It's so hot. I can't, it's, it's not hot. Okay. It's not hot. All right. Go to Wichita Falls, Texas when it's 115 billion degrees. That's hot. All right. So we get to live in an awesome place. So instead of like, it's hot. How about, man. Thank God, instead of like, you know, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too rainy, it's too dry, it's too whatever. It's like, man, thank God, thank God, man, thank God we get to live in an awesome, an awesome, awesome place. And I'm just wondering, I'm rejoice. here's when we're going to roll this back a little bit. You're like, how do you do this? I got I to gotta, I gotta go quick, so listen quick. I, I got to tell you this. You're like, how do I do that? Well, obviously, there's some stuff we know every day that God's done. God, thank you for my health, my sight, my hearing, the fact that I get to breathe, my car, the fact that I got to eat Fruit Loops this morning or whatever. That's awesome. God, thank you for my salvation, for the Spirit of God, the Word of God, my church, my friend. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. But also, he says that you have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. And you know what that also means? It means you and I got to look forward that I said it a few weeks ago, if you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, right now is the closest to hell you'll ever get. If you're a Christ follower, this is as hellish as it gets. If you're not a Christian, seriously, this is as close to heaven as it gets. And so what happens is this. 
And when we can think about, take anything and just think, okay, if I were to fast forward 100 years, what's this going to look like? About three weeks ago, I took up road biking. Okay, I'm not sure about it yet because legs aren't sore, the back's not sore, but the booty is so sore. I'm just... TMI, I'm sorry, let me get over here. I'm just saying, but one of the, the guys that's kind of coaching me on it, here's what he said. Because we're, we're flying down this one hill in Mills River, and it's going down like that. <laughs> and he's like, and we're coming up on a curve. He's like, don't look right down. He's like, look ahead. Look ahead about 50 yards, because if you look down, if you look down, you won't be able to steer very good, and you'll crash. So look ahead. Look ahead. And when I looked ahead, it was so easy to just fly around that curve. And I thought, that's the Christian life. Instead of looking at right now, it's like, oh, it's my job is tough right now. My health is bad. Look ahead. Look ahead. Think about anything. The Apostle Paul's in prison. He's in prison. How are you going to defeat a guy like that that looks ahead? Somebody's like, my health is bad. Look ahead. You're like, you know what? A hundred years from now, I'm going to have a brand new body. And it's going to be good, and I'm going to look awesome, and I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to have a headache. I'm not going to pull a hamstring, none of that stuff. You're like, man, I'm not, you know, what, what, somebody going to take my money. You're like, okay, I'm a Christ follower. I sent that thing ahead already, all right? I just sponsored a compassion kid, so that got sent up to heaven, and that is waiting for me. All right, think about anything at all. It's like, you know what, I'm suffering right now, and I'm pressured right now, and, that's, uh, and I understand that. But why don't you just take like Romans 8, 17, and I love this. I tried to get it memorized, but here's what it basically says. It's like, but I consider, I consider the present sufferings. I consider the present sufferings, the present sufferings. It's like, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits those that love him. It's not, it's not like it's close, okay? It's not like it's close. It's like, it's not even worth comparing to what you've got coming up for you. And so part of it is just looking ahead. All right, I, 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 I'm kind of growing to be a Churchill fan, so here, let me give you one quote, and I'll give you this last one. December 1941, the war's not going well. Sunday, December 7th, Churchill hears about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. He goes into his office, he calls Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he tells FDR this, or FDR told him, quote, well, we are all in the same boat now. Later on, Churchill wrote, writes in his memoir, this is Churchill, quote, no American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing the U.S. was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and of the thankful. And he said overwhelming force. That's transformed Churchill's attitude from helplessness to hopefulness. And that's what he's saying. He's like, right now, whatever you're going through, look ahead, fast forward 100 years from now, everything will change. And here's the last one. I got like four minutes to go through this. So listen quickly. This is like, oh, this is super key. I wish I had to save a little more time. Here it is. Embrace your gospel identity. Embrace your gospel identity. Let me read these two verses. A couple stories, we're done. 113. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14. In whom... We have redemption. That is, like, that is like such an awesome word. The forgiveness of sins. My prayer is that you would embrace your gospel identity. Identity is the answer is who am I? And just a few notes. You are not what's been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done. 
The world likes to label you, but I'm just going to say you're not your past, you're not your addiction, you're not your marital status, you're not your income level, you're not your struggle with sin, you're what Jesus did on the cross that defines you. And what it does is it tells you that you are valued. It tells you that you are valued. Your biblical identification is I am who God says I am. And it's not because of what you've done. Verse 12 says he's qualified you. That's why we don't have biographies of great men and women at our church. The church shouldn't have biographies of great men and women. We don't have great men and women, all right? We have sinful men and women who have been redeemed by the grace and the blood of Jesus. And so we don't have biographies. We have testimonies. Testimonies are about the gospel. It's about what God has done. It's about what the text actually says. And I wish I had time to go for, uh, he talks about so many things in here. Saints, again, I don't know if you know that he addresses these people as saints, not because they're perfect. A saint in the Bible is not all this stuff you've done. A saint in the Bible, a saint in the Bible is all about their position and their possession of who Jesus is and what he's done in their life. It's not about what you've done. Look, if you don't believe that, look at the Corinthians. They were some of the most jacked up, drunkard, incestuous people. And he's like, you're a saint. It's not because you're acting that way. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of what he's paid for you. I'll give you two illustrations, then we're done. First one is this. You think about what's been paid for you? I tell you what, I'm, I'm learning about this whole sneaker deal. You all have learned about how these sneaker, the sneaker game that's going on, the sneaker game. Here's the quick deal. Think about eBay. People like put out 500 Air Jordans and then other people will get in a raffle to get them. If they get them, then they resell them for like 1,500 bucks. What is it really worth? What it's worth, it's worth what somebody will pay for that. And what he's trying to drive home is your identity is based on what somebody paid for you. And God said, I love that person. I value that person. I will pay for that person with the blood of my own son. That's what I'll do. And if you don't understand anything else, you've got to understand this whole idea of grace. Tony Evans, I think, is the guy that said this. He says, he says there's a difference between a grace dog and a law dog. A great, there is no corollary for cats, all right? So just a, a grace dog... Grace, grace dog and a law dog. He says you can always, when you walk into a house, you can always tell the difference between a grace dog and a law dog. A law dog always has his tail tucked underneath. It's intimidated by the master. It's afraid of the master. The master says, do this or I'm going to spank you with this paper. And it's a miserable dog. But a grace dog, its tail is wagging when the master comes home because there's a relationship there. The dog just wants to be with you. The dog just wants to make you happy. Why? Because he understands his master loves him and there's a relationship. And so when we talk about God's exalted overall, what you've got to ask in your life, is that true with where I am? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have a campus pastor pray for you this prayer. Then we're going to leave with exalted overall, kind of almost a declaration of the journey we're about to go on uh, together. So go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes if you would.